Psalms chapter 9 and verse number 1. The Bible says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause, and thou sattest in in the throne judging right. Thou hast rebuked the heathen, and thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end, and thou hast destroyed cities, their memorials perished with them. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world righteousness, and he shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in time of troubles. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. When he maketh inquisitions for, the, for blood, he, rem, he remembereth them. For he forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Well, I won't say thank God for that. Amen. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the, of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Let's bow for prayer, then you can be seated. Our precious Father, I want to thank you tonight for the good singing, the good testimonies. I want to thank you, as it's already been said, for Bible Baptist Church. God, I pray your blessings on the reading of thy word. I pray that you'll give us liberty. I ask you, Lord, tonight to touch us and touch the invitation and do what needs to be done. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I want to preach out of verse number 9 on this subject tonight on a refuge in times of trouble. A refuge in times of trouble. Now in Psalms chapter number 9, David is writing this psalm here. And Psalms chapter 9 and Psalms chapter number 10 are both a picture of a time of Jacob's trouble, uh, prophetically speaking, that there is coming a day uh, whenever Israel will go through the tribulation period. And it'll be during those seven years that as God, even though he has proved it throughout the Old Testament, down through the New Testament, and even in the day and time that we're living in today. But one more time God will prove to Israel that he will once again be a refuge in times of trouble. And I want to say tonight, as well as Israel can say that, the church, we the people of God, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, uh, we can also say tonight in our life that God has been a refuge uh, in those times of trouble. What makes up Psalms chapter 9 tonight is that uh, David in this psalm reveals three things about the righteousness of God. In verses 1 down through verse number 
number three. And again in verse number nine and 10, David reveals God's righteousness, redemption of the elect. In other words, God's righteous redemption of the elect. He's talking about it, the nation of Israel as we've already mentioned here and how that God has not forgotten his people. Now, you can mark this down tonight. I don't care how many people in this world, I don't care how many superpowers in this world uh, turns their back on Israel and turns their arsenals toward him. God is going to take care of that nation. Amen. Hitler tried to destroy them, but God took care of Hitler. And listen, there's been many others that have tried to take care of the nation of Israel only to find out that there is an unseen hand that has promised to redeem them because they are the elect of God. And the Bible says that in verse number three. He said, when my enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. You see, David knew that God was going to redeem Israel. And he knew that God would take care of them at all expense, uh, that their safety and their refuge was in the Lord. Amen. And so David deals with God's righteous redemption of the elect. But then David deals with God's righteous resistance of evil. Amen. Notice what he said in verse 5 and 6. He said, Thou that hast rebuked, thou hast rebuked the heathen, thou hast destroyed the wicked, thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to perpetual end. You know what David is saying here? He's saying that this God that is so righteous to redeem the elect is also this God that is so righteous to resist evil. Amen. That it's not just going to be those that turn against Israel, but it's going to be all those that turn against God and do wickedness and try to bring evil in this world. I want to go on record and say this tonight, that wicked, wicked or evil cannot win, but righteousness will win every single time. And friend, I have seen righteous people try to do evil, but I want to tell you something, when you follow the evil path, you'll come up short every single time. But if you'll just do right and live right and be right, God will be your defense. He has promised to take care of you and be a refuge in times of trouble. Amen. I've seen the devil get on my trail and I'm sure you've seen him get on your trail. Uh, We've all had enemies in this world, but I'll tell you something, God, he will resist the evil and if you and I will resist the evil, God will take us up and take care of us. Amen. And so he talks about God's righteousness uh, in resisting evil, God's righteousness in redemption of the elect, but then he talks about in verse number 4 and verse number 7 and 8 he talks about God's righteous rule over this earth. You see what David is saying in Psalms 9 is that not only is God going to redeem Israel and not only is God going to resist all evil in this world but he wants us to understand something else and that's this that God is so righteous and that he is the one that sits in the heavens and he is the one that rules this earth. Amen. The Bible says in verse number four, for thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Notice this, thou saddest in the throne, uh, in the throne judging right. Then in verse number seven he said, but the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. You see, here's what God is saying in this text, is that God's the one that sets kings up and he's the one that sets them down. Amen? I'm telling you, listen, it would not have made no difference who got elected. Amen? And listen, in our election back in the uh, back in November. I mean, I understand it would make a difference as far as we're concerned, but from a sovereign standpoint, I want you to understand that it is God. He already knows who's going to sit and be the president. He already knows who 
who's going to be the prime minister and he's the one that's in charge and moving the pieces of the puzzle tonight. Amen. God's always in charge. Amen. I pulled a book off my shelf not too long ago and the book was entitled, it was a book about numbers. And I was just flipping through uh, that book of Numbers. And as I was flipping through that book of Numbers, and I shared this somewhere, as I may have shared it at the church, I really don't remember. But Brother Charles, as I was looking through that, it was telling about in that book how that each number, what it represented in the Word of God. And I just flipped over to number 39. That was the number that I was looking at. And you know what the number 39 is? It's punishment. And I don't know why this popped in my head, but it did. You know who the 39th president was? It was Jimmy Carter, amen? Now, if that wasn't punishment on America, I don't know what is. But I'm gonna tell you something. I'm talking about God being in charge, amen? Do you know who, listen, what the number 40 means? The number 40 means testing. And you know who the 40th president was? It was Ronald Reagan. And certainly there was the ending of the Cold War and it was a time of testing. Number 41, uh, listen, number 41 is, uh, I'm trying to remember what 41 was at the time. Oh, 41 was leadership. And I thought about George Bush Sr., how that he led us through the desert storm and led us through the Iraq war and how that wasn't an accident. I'm talking about numbers. This Bible will line, line up prophetically with what's happening around us. And then number 42. Guess what number 42 is? It was corruption. And I mean, listen, whether you're a Democrat, I, I'm sorry to tell you, but Bill Clinton was corrupt. Somebody say it, ma'am. And number 43 was counsel, which was George uh, uh, W. Bush. And then number 44. You know what the number 44 is in the Bible? It is judgment. Amen. You know what God did for eight years? He brought judgment on this nation. Now, I know some people may laugh a little bit about that, but I'm being dead serious tonight. Them numbers in the Bible don't lie. You know what 45 is? It's preservation. And regardless of what you think about our president, and I think I thank God for him. I know he's not the Messiah tonight, but I think God puts it in men's heart is what I'm saying tonight. There's another hand working and we ought to recognize. And you know what they're doing right now? They're trying to preserve some of the things that's been taking away from us in the past eight years. I'm just saying I'm not looking to man. I'm looking to a sovereign God that knows all these things. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. Listen, if Bozo the Clown was sitting in the White House, God is still going to have his way and he's still going to do whatever he wants to do tonight. Amen. 46 is legacy. 47 is disappointment. And I don't know what 48 and 49 is, but I know what 50 is. It's jubilee and deliverance. Hallelujah. You know what that, well, I, you know who's going to bring jubilee and deliverance? It's not going to be the President of the United States or any other country for that matter. It's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, we're close to Jesus coming. Amen. And that's not the rapture when Jubilee and deliverance come. That's 1,000 years of, listen, of rain upon this earth. And I'm not setting a date. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying God is sovereign. And that's what David is saying in Psalms chapter 9, that he sits in the heavens. He sits on his throne and nothing happens without his approval and nothing gets through if he disapproves, God is large and he's in charge tonight. Amen. Well, that sure makes me feel better knowing that. 
And he talks about his rule over this earth. And here's what, the, here's what this does in the life of David in Psalms 9. I want you to see this tonight. Because David knew this about God and because David had his trust in God and David knew that God was a refuge in a time of trouble, here's what he did. He filled this psalm with praise. Amen. Notice what he said in verse number one. He said, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. When I think about David praising God in these two verses here, I see that this is a devoted praise. As David said, he didn't just say, I will praise thee, but notice in verse one, he said, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Hard. Amen. I wonder tonight, many sit in church and don't even praise God. And others sit in church, not all, but some, and don't praise Him with their whole heart. I've seen that down through the years in church. How, as I've mentioned it before, some will praise God on this song but they won't praise God on that song. Or they'll praise God on this singer, but they don't like that singer, so they're not going to praise God. Maybe they'll praise God when this person testifies, but they're not going to praise God when this person testifies. Boy, listen, if their preacher shows up, they're going to praise God. But listen, if it ain't their preacher, they're just going to sit there like a knot on the log. Now, I'm not saying you got to get raptured out every service, but what I'm saying is I don't have to look across the aisle to get somebody's approval to worship God. Amen? Friend, I'm telling you, when I come to church, I've always tried by the grace of God and I hope God will give me grace to just keep on doing this. I've always tried to put the blinders on and see no man save Jesus only. Amen. I didn't come to see you and you didn't come to see me. We came to see him. Can I get a witness on that? We came to worship the Lord. I'm telling you, you can worship him on Sunday morning. You can worship him on Sunday night. Hey, you can worship him on Wednesday night even when you're tired in body. Isn't that right? I'm telling you, you can worship him in the sunshine and you can worship him in the shadows. You can worship him when you're on the mountain and you can worship him when you're down in the valley. Brother Chris, you can worship him when the bills are paid and you can worship him when you ain't got two nickels to rub together. I'm saying, listen, God, he's worthy to be worshiped. He's worthy to be praised and he deserves us to praise him with our whole heart, amen. You know, if you've ever tried preaching, teaching, or singing, you ought to worship God every time you go to church if you've ever done any of those things. Have you ever tried to sing a song and people just stare at you? Amen. Have you ever tried to teach a Sunday school class and people look at you like you lost your mind? Like a few people's looking at me right now. You say, I just don't feel good. Well, I mean, take a feel-good pill. Amen. Take a shot of be nice if you need one. Isn't that right? That's B12, I think is what that is. Be nice. I mean, just take three or four before you go to church if you have to. But God is too, he's been too good, Brother Jerry, for us just to get relaxed, amen. I mean, God has been too good for us to just settle down and just cool down. You say, oh, but I'm going through a trial. Well, I'll tell you something. If the only time you can praise God is when you're not going through a trial, then I wouldn't want to serve the God that you serve, amen. Because I'm telling you, that's the world's God. But the God that we serve puts a smile on our face, even in the deepest of our battles. 
bellies and puts a song in our heart because why? He's still on the throne as the choir sings. He's still in charge tonight. And brother, listen, we ought to have a devoted praise when it comes to him tonight. I see that his praise was devoted. I see also tonight in here that his praise was displayed. Notice what he said in verse number one. He said, I will show forth all thy marvelous works. Now David said, when it comes to praising God, I'm not going to be quiet about this. I'm not going to take a back seat. I'm not going to sit there and tell about it in a corner. I'm not just going to tell about some of it. But David said, I'm going to show all thy marvelous works. In other words, David was keeping record of all the great things that God had done in his life. When's the last time you took record of all the good things God done in your life? Hey, you say, well, preacher, I can think about the day that he saved me, and that's wonderful. You can say, well, I can think about this or that. But I'm telling you something. Do you know if you just kept record today, you would have to praise him? Amen. You think about God got you out of the bed this morning, didn't he? He let your heart beat so many times. He let your lungs operate so many times and, and bring in breath. You breathe God's air so many times and, and God let you work a job and, and you kept you safe on the road as you traveled here, there, and yonder and you came to church and he let you be born in America. He let you live another day this side of eternity. He let you be around your family and your friends and he gave you food to eat and all these wonderful things. And listen, if you just start tallying up all the marvelous works of God, we'd never stop praising him tonight. His praise was displayed. His praise was determined. Notice what he said in verse number two. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. Now I don't tell you to underline much in the Bible, but I'm telling you tonight, every Baptist in this building needs to underline where the Bible says I will be glad and rejoice in thee. You see tonight, gladness is not an emotion. Gladness is a choice. Amen. Happiness might be an emotion, but gladness is a, is a choice tonight. It takes determination to be glad. It don't take any determination at all to be sad or be negative or to all the time be whining or have the, have the mully grubs. Or, or you say, well, I, you know, I'm just going through a lot. But listen what David was going through a lot in Psalms 9. David was running for his life in Psalms 9. David had the whole kingdom against him. David, it looked like his own son was overthrowing, had turned against him. And when it seemed like David didn't have but a few ragtag men and he was running for his life, David made a conscious choice not to be sad about it, not not to be mad about it, not to be bitter about it, not to grumble about it. But David said, you know what I'm going to do? He said, I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I'm telling you, that's some determination in praise. And if you're going to praise God, you can't do it on accident. You're going to have to learn to do it on purpose. Amen. You're just going to have to learn to get up and say, you know what? I believe I just go on anyway. I believe I just shout on anyhow. I believe I just say amen in spite of this. I believe I just praise God. I believe I just go on. Hey, that's them determined Christians that keeps on praising the Lord. I went by and saw Miss Nina this past uh, week when she was in the hospital, and she lifted my spirit. And I'm telling you, I wasn't the one sick, and I wasn't the one laying in the hospital bed, but she lifted my spirit. You know why she did that? Because she made a choice. Laying in that hospital bed, I'm just not going to be sad. I'm going to be glad. Well, don't you like to be around spirit-filled people, Amen. 
I'm talking about his praise was determined. And then his praise, I see here that it was directed. Notice what he said in verse number two. Oh, thou most high. He said in the latter part, he said, I will sing praise to thy name, oh, thou most high. You know why David could be glad and rejoice? Because David wasn't singing to those around him. David wasn't singing because of the circumstances in his life. David's praise wasn't directed in this direction. It was directed in that direction. You know, I think sometimes if we're not careful, that's what we do. We sing and preach to each other. We sing and we teach and we do things and we've got others in mind. And so therefore it hinders us when, when we have, whether that be for the good or the bad. I'm telling you, listen, you can't sing uh, uh, for an amen. You can't preach for an amen. You can't sing for a shout. You can't teach for a pat on the back. You can't do these things in this direction. You'll be disappointed every time. But when you take that song or you take that testimony or you take that sermon and you just divorce yourself from everybody around you and you direct it upward, Amen. I'm telling you, listen, you'll get a blessing every single time. Talking about tonight, worship. And David in this psalm here, he fills this psalm with praise. And then I notice something else. He fills this psalm with prayer. Notice what he said in verse number 13. He said, have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest me up from the gate of death. In verse 19, arise, O Lord, let not, my, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. You know what David's doing in this psalm? He's praising God, and then he's praying to God. And David don't pray first, he praises first. You know, Jesus taught us that in Matthew chapter 6. When he said, when thou prayest, he said, shut the door and pray to thy father which is in secret and thy father which seeth thee in secret shall reward thee openly. He said, after this manner, therefore, pray ye our father which art in heaven. Notice this, hallowed be thy name. Jesus said, before you do anything in prayer, the first thing you need to do is hallow his name. You need to worship him. You need to praise him. And then after you have praised him, then the prayer proceeds on. And you know the Lord's prayer or you know the model prayer, how that it goes. And, and so he taught us to pray first or to praise first and then to pray and ask for things and ask for our needs. And that's what David is practicing here. He's magnifying God. And then he's manifesting his problems before the Lord. And can I say tonight, you'll get your prayers answered a whole lot quicker if you'll start out praising before you pray. Amen. Sometimes I've prayed and I've asked for things and the Lord said, hold on just a second. You need to get your heart in tune before you ask anything. And David is praying for deliverance. He's praying to be rescued. Oh, I want to say tonight, there's been times in my life, I thank God for this, when I needed God to rescue me from the enemy. And in spite of what the circumstances were, I said, you know what? I'm just going to be glad and rejoice. I'm going to praise God. And I'm going to, I'm going to look up. I'm not going to look down. I'm not going to look around. I'm not going to look to this person or that person. I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord. And God would answer that prayer every single time. I thank him for that tonight, don't you? And David fills this psalm of praise. He also fills it with promises concerning the wicked. And we won't read all of them, but in verse number 15 down to verse number 20, he talks about the heathen, how they're sunk down in the pit that they've made and how that they have their own foot and their own net in verse 15. And he said in verse 16, the Lord is known by the judgment which he executed. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. You remember when Haman built those gallows and he thought he was building them for Mordecai, but really in the end... 
Listen, he hung himself on his own gallows. Do you know, listen, God has done that with the devil from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I'm telling you, listen, the devil's never won one victory against God. God's always come up. Every time it looked like the devil had one of his children, every time it looked like the devil was going to win, guess what? God would just be a refuge to them. I mean, think about it. When Satan threw those three Hebrew boys down in that fiery furnace, it looked like they was on the side that was loosened. But I'm telling you, listen, when they got down in the fire, they found out there's a fourth man walking with them in the fire and it couldn't even put smoke on their clothes. You know why? Because God is a refuge in the time of trouble. I'm telling you, when it looked like all the Hebrew boys was going to be massacred and killed, I'm telling you, listen, Jochebed put that little baby in that bulrush in that Nile River and not one alligator and not one python could take that little bulrush down and God, listen, brought it right back to her arms. You know why? Because God is a refuge in the times of trouble. I'm telling you, listen, when that widow woman got down to just a little bit of oil and just a little bit of meal in a barrel, God sent a man of God by and took care of her through the famine because God is a refuge in the times of trouble. He'll never let you down. He'll never leave you behind. He'll always make a way if he's got to part the Red Sea, if he's got to walk on water, if he's got to come up out of the grave, if he's got to bring heaven and hell together, he'll be what you need when you need him to be it, amen? Because he's a refuge. He knows tonight what we need. And he's got a perfect record of never letting one person down tonight. Daniel went down in the lion's den and not one lion had an appetite for a human that night. You know why? Because God is faithful. And there's no circumstance too big or too small that he can't make a way. And I won't preach these things tonight, but I'll give them to you and be done here in about two minutes. Notice with me in verse number three, David talks about this refuge and he talks about, he talks in verse one and two, the adoration of this refuge as he praises God. And we mentioned that. He talks about the ability of this refuge when he said in verse three, when mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. That's God's ability. That no enemy is too big for him. In verse number four, he talks about the agenda of this refuge. What is God's agenda? To, re, to be a refuge to his people. That he might maintain the right cause. Amen. God's always on the right side. And if you want to be blessed, get on the right side. Amen. Get on the right side of Calvary. Amen. Get on the right side of the word of God. And you'll live a blessed right, life. And then he talks about the actions of this refuge in verse number Number five, as he said, he's rebuked the heathen, he's destroyed the wicked, and he's put their name forever out of sight, forever and forever. And then there's the assurance of it in verse number six, as he said, O thou enemy, destructions are come to perpetual end, and thou hast destroyed cities, their memorial is perished with them. But he said, The Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. And notice verse number eight, he shall judge the world in righteousness. I'm going to tell you something tonight. God knows everything about this world. And there's not one person that suffers around this globe. I don't care if they live in America, the Iron Curtain, behind the Iron Curtain. I don't care where they live at tonight. Red China. There's not one person that suffers that what God doesn't know about it. And he's a great deliverer. And he's a refuge. Some people, he... he, he delivers in this life and some he chooses to deliver in the next life. I was thinking about this, thinking about my sister uh, today when I was studying this text. 
And you know that all of my life growing up, from time to time, even before I got saved, from time to time, I would, I would wonder sometimes to myself, just, it would just pass my mind. Even as a boy growing up, I would wonder, I thought, why was my sister born that way? I'm sure other people have thought things like that about people. But I, mean, I thought, I wonder why, of all the people in the world, I wonder why she wasn't normal. And God let me use this this week as I was talking with, with, with brother and sister Hewitt this week. I told him, I said, you know, all my life I wondered about that. And I even would think sometimes to myself, I would think to myself, what purpose does she have? I know God doesn't do anything without a purpose. But I mean, what purpose does she have? She can't talk. She can't tell you anything. She, and she suffered so much for 43 years. I thought, what purpose is in that? And it wasn't until her funeral, that, the day of her funeral, my mother, she said, you know what? She said, I'm going to tell you something I never told anybody. She said, she said, when your brother died, she said, I was, he was born, he lived a day, his lungs were not fully developed, and she, he lived one day and said he died. And of course, she, she said, I'm going to tell you something I never told nobody. She said, I, she said, I don't even understand this. But she said, I was sitting there watching a march of dimes. How many of y'all remember that? Okay. And she said, I was sitting there watching that. And she said, it had been several months, and she said, I wanted a child, and she said, she said, I, she said I, we couldn't have a baby. And she said, she said, I was sitting there watching that March of Dimes. And she said, I didn't even know if God was real. She said, sitting there in my living room, she said, I just looked up at the ceiling. I said, God, if you'll give me a baby. She said, I don't even care if there's anything wrong with it. She said, would you just give me a baby and let me know that you're real. And she said, then your sister was born with mental retardation. And all of, all of their life, they took care of her and just loved her like, I mean, just a little baby. They loved her. And she told me that that day. And then at her funeral, I got to thinking about that, and I thought, you know what? If she wouldn't have been born that way, they wouldn't have, my mom and dad wouldn't have stayed together. God proved himself to be real. I read a letter, Brother David knows, I read a letter to funeral where the doctor, and as I read that letter, that's the first time I'd read it was, was that day of the funeral. I didn't have time to, to read it. And as I was reading that letter, the doctor said that God put Jennifer in his life to make him a better doctor. He talked about all the complications that she had and how that he was a young doctor and he'd been her doctor for 36 years. And for 36 years, he said, God used those challenges to, or in her life to challenge him to, to, to press on to be a better doctor. And then at her death, that day of the funeral, my, my aunt and my cousin, two people that I never thought would have walked the aisle and got saved, got saved. And here I am standing there and I'm looking at them saved. I'm looking at this letter that this doctor wrote. I'm thinking about what my mother said. And I'm thinking about how that because they stayed together, I got to hear the gospel and be saved. And my brother got saved and my whole family got saved and I met my wife and, and, and God gave us a family and now they're in church today. You wouldn't even be here today just because one person suffered in life. And God knows all those things. He lets things happen in our life that we don't know and it may take 43 years to ever really know. And I believe this, there's things I don't know about why. Because God's that big tonight. But He's a refuge, isn't He? God specializes in taking what looks like to us the worst situations known to us. 
and making them the greatest blessings in our life. And without it, our life would not be complete. Tonight, as we stay and our heads are bowed, eyes are closed, God's not just a refuge in times of trouble, but He's the refuge. He's the greatest shelter. He's the greatest hiding place. He's the greatest hope. He's the greatest comfort. He's the greatest architect. He's the greatest provider. That's the refuge. Not in just some troubles, but in all troubles. In times of trouble. He, He don't wait and show up late. And He don't have to be there early. But right in the time of your trouble, when it's at its highest, when it's at its hardest point, that's when God says, come to me, I'll be your refuge. And tonight we'll sing a verse of this song. If you've got to come, if you need to come tonight, if the Holy Spirit deals with your heart, hey, you may need a refuge tonight. While we sing, why don't you come tonight?